And she toughed out the last 15 minutes of practice and went to her car and just started crying. What was she doing? Who did she think she was practicing with these other girls? And soon she heard a knock on their windows, and it was Bruce Hilda, the captain. And Bruzy said, are you okay? Kathy kind of pulled it together, yeah. Good thing you didn't cry during practice. The other girls would have killed you. That was Rick Chandler, live on stage at the Pendragon Theater in Saranac Lake in 2017. And on today's episode of The Howl, it's time to join the Fresh Meat Squad. From NCPR and the Adirondack Center for Writing, this is The Howl. True stories, no notes, told live on stage in the North Country. I'm Ethan Shanty. Hey, before we get into the show, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you so, so much for joining us for this second season of The Howl Podcast. I'm really excited to be back and bringing you 12 new episodes of this amazing show. If I do say so myself, I think it's pretty good, and you're back here, so obviously you think it's pretty solid too. Our first season was downloaded tens of thousands of times, and when I saw how many people tuned in to the show, I was just blown away. So seriously, thank you. From the tips of my toes to the top of my bald head, thank you, thank you, thank you for making this show a success. I hope you love the stories we've got for you this season, and don't forget, you can always talk to me by emailing ethan at ncpr.org. Okay, let's get on with the show. I always wanted to be a visual artist. I really liked drawing and painting when I was a kid, but I never had a natural eye for it. And at age 10, when I started playing the saxophone in grade school, I took to music kind of effortlessly. And by the time I started my first rock band at 13, I was fully invested, and I never really looked back at painting. But when I was 27, I decided basically on a whim to quit my job. My friend wanted to move to Arizona, and he asked if I would help. I had a little bit of savings, and I was feeling that mid-twenties ennui that forces you to go on an adventure. So we hooked up a U-Haul to my Camry and started the 2,000-mile trek across the country. I had the best tacos of my life, also the worst tacos of my life, but I suppose that's a story for a different episode. We visited beautiful museums, we stole Eureka lemons off of trees, and I got a lot of writing done. But by the time I came back, my savings had basically run out, and I was working a dead-end part-time job. I had found myself with a lot of free time, something that for me has always led to increased anxiety. I was complaining one day to my partner, Erin, that I was bored and bummed out, and I needed something to do with my hands. And she said, well, you've always wanted to try collage. Why not give that a shot? I told her, I don't really think I'll be very good at it. And she said, well, what's the worst that can happen? Anybody can do it. You just have to practice. That made me think about the first time that I picked up the guitar and I plucked away at the first few notes of Metallica's Enter Sandman over and over and over again, trying to get it right, barely fumbling my way through for months and months. But eventually I did get it. I figured it out. And then I was playing entire albums from memory and then I was writing my own songs. Of course I could make collage art. I just had to try. I found some magazines and some glue and I started cutting and pasting. Obviously, my first few attempts weren't very good, and neither were the next couple, but eventually, a vision did start to take shape. I was starting to understand what colors work together and how to not overwork a piece. And then a few months later, I was designing an entire book of collages. And a few months after that, I sold a piece. And just like that, I was a collage artist. It can be really, really hard to try to get into a new craft when you're older, and when that craft requires that you put your body and your health on the line, well, that can be even more difficult. Rick Chandler joined us on stage live at the Howell Grand Slam in 2017 to tell the story about his wife joining the Fresh Meat Squad, competing in roller derby bouts in her 50s. Here's Rick Chandler, live at the Pendragon Theater in Saranac Lake in 2017.
In May of 2009, our younger son graduated from high school. And my wife and I looked at each other and thought, now what? You know, it's typical that parents kind of drift apart as their kids get older. But this was something even different. My, my wife had lost something. I don't know why. But she felt like she really wasn't worthy of love. And frankly, it's hard to love somebody if they don't think they're worthy. And I wasn't sure we were going to make it. So in August, when she said she needed to tell me something, I was pretty apprehensive. You can imagine my shock when she told me that she decided that she was going to go out for the Richmond, Virginia women's roller derby team. (laughs) Now, I don't know if you know anything about roller derby. I did not. It's a cross between figure skating and professional wrestling. Everybody on the team is in their late 20s, early 30s. My wife has her AARP card, so (laughs) I didn't know what to think. She told me that practice was Sunday for three hours, Tuesday three hours, and then Thursday for two more hours, so eight hours a week. Plus, she had to do drills in between. We had led separate lives, so she wasn't asking me. She was telling me, and I didn't know what to think. I mean, I had had a crush on a rugby player named Bailey a long time ago, but I didn't... (laughs) I didn't know about being married to a a roller derby chick. Well, September came, and she started practice. She went to her first practice on a Sunday, three hours, and when she came back, she crawled into the house and had two words to say, everything hurts. I didn't know if she'd stick with it, but on Tuesday, when I came home from work, there was a note, at practice. And she changed almost immediately. Now, instead of talking about what the kids had done wrong, what I had done wrong, what was wrong with her job, what was wrong with the house. She talked about roller derby. She explained there were five blockers and one jammer, and the jammer had to lap the other team's blockers to get points. And the way you stopped that was knock them on their ass. Everything seemed to revolve around knock them on their ass. You see, they don't have games, they don't have matches, they have bouts. And that every girl, and we don't call them women, we don't call them ladies, we call them girls, Every girl had a nickname, and that nickname usually included violence or sex, and if you could get them both together, that was a great nickname. (laughs) So my wife was a roller derby chick. She was on the fresh meat squad for the Richmond, Virginia, River City Roller Girls. And I was so proud of her. And I would tell her I was proud of her, but she wouldn't listen to it. She wouldn't take a compliment. And you know how frustrating that is? You know, I'd tell her, I love you, I'm proud of you. She'd say, you just want to have sex. (laughs) Now, if any guy in here has a good answer to that retort, I'd love to hear it. Because if you say yes, which is true, you sound pretty shallow. And if you say no, she knows you're lying and you will never have sex again. So (laughs) what do you say to that? And that's kind of what I mean about loving someone who doesn't think they're worthy. So she would talk about practice and how the different coaches had taken them through different drills. She talked about how one of the coaches had taken them through the rules and yelled at him, and her name was Harriet Thumpman. <laughs> and how another coach had him working so hard that she thought she was going to throw up, and that coach was Busta Hyman. <laughs> it was all actual names, I swear. <laughs> and after three months, she had a test. She had to take a test to make the team. There was a written test, there was a physical test, and there was actually time trials around the track. So I waited anxiously, didn't know what to think. She came home and said that four of the nine gals had not made the team. I waited and waited. 
She said, of course I made the team. I worked half my ass off to make this thing. And she had. She had lost about 45 pounds. She was really working hard. And you know how you feel good when you're working out? You feel better? She felt that pride, but you still couldn't tell her anything. I said, let's go out and celebrate. No, it's not a big deal. Yes, it's a big deal. No, it's not a big deal. So now she was officially a member of the Uncivil Warriors roller derby team. (laughs) Practicing with the team. Going to be a blocker. And she'd go to practice, and she'd still have the anxiety. And then it happened. Sometime in January, Bruce Hilda knocked her down. Oh, excuse me. That was Malicious Murph knocked her down. She'd be so pissed if I got this wrong. Malicious Murph knocked her down, and she landed on her elbow. And it hurt. It hurt a lot. And she toughed out the last 15 minutes of practice and went to her car and just started crying. What was she doing? She was in pain. Who did she think she was practicing with these other girls? And soon she heard a knock on their windows, and it was Bruce Hilda, the captain. And Bruzy said, are you okay? Kathy kind of pulled it together, yeah. Good thing you didn't cry during practice. The other girls would have killed you. <laughs> but I expect you back at practice on Sunday. We need you. We need you. Those were the three words she needed to hear to come back to practice the next Tuesday or Sunday, and sure enough, she did. Well, you can guess what happened. Time comes, goes forward, and she has her first bout. And they're concerned that the, the treasury's kind of low, and they're not sure they have enough finances. And the great thing about being older and cheap is when they say they need money, you can call the coach and buy tickets. I bought 50 tickets. But I wasn't going to tell my wife. That's 500 bucks. She'd be furious. So once again, I'm telling her I'm proud of her. I love her. This is great. And she says, no, you're not. And I lose it. Well, I must be proud of you. I bought 50 damn tickets to your first bout. She was appalled. What? You did what? Gave them to people at work, people at the gym, guys at the cigar shop. Everybody's going to be there. She wanted this to be her secret. She wanted this to be her skeleton in the closet. She was furious. You would have thought I'd given her a big bottle of liquid and sold tickets to her colonoscopy. Like, <laughs> So sure enough, she had her first bout. My friends are all there. The Make America Great guys were appalled by the cheerleaders. And they called out her to go on stage. And her, her name, her maiden name was Freeze. And they called her out as Freezer Burn. That's right. You can't say Freezer Burn. It's got to be Freezer Burn. And I'd love to tell you she did great. She won the game. They carried her off on her shoulders. But it wasn't like that. But when we got home, I told her how proud I was of her, how great it was. She didn't want to hear it. She pointed out everything she had done wrong. I didn't know she'd done anything wrong. And time went by. So I stopped going to her matches, but she kept going. And then it was the end of the season party. And she wasn't sure she was going to go. Why would she go? She didn't really fit in, she felt, and they didn't really care about her. I said, you're crazy. It's like those things you used to do in high school sports, you know. She said, no, I don't know. I graduated in 1974. Title IX was signed in 1972. Title IX guaranteed equal access to sports for girls. There were no sports when she was growing up. You were a cheerleader on a spirit team. Right? She didn't have any of those things. And I had to explain to her she had to go. So we went, and it was at a bar, bought a couple of pitchers of beer, and all night the other gals came up to talk to her, told her what a great team player she was. And I'm like, see, they do care about you. 
She says, they just want free beer. <laughs> well, they started to give out the awards, and the team coaches were up there. And the first award they decided to give was the Spirit Award. And they said, we usually save this for last, but we wanted to give this one out first. And they talked about how when this gal came out for the team, they weren't sure she was going to make it. They weren't sure she'd stick with it. And she wasn't a loud player. She wasn't the kind of person that encouraged everybody. But she led by example. And you can guess, my wife was looking out to see who they were talking about. And everybody else was looking at her. She won the Spirit Award that year. And they called it out. And you know what they called. Freezer burn. (laughs) And when she went home, she started to fall asleep, holding her plaque. And the last thing she said to me is, I guess I am a badass, aren't I? (laughs) And I said, I don't know if you're a badass, but I love you. And you'll always be my freezer burn. That was Rick Chandler, live on stage at the Pendragon Theater in Saranac Lake in 2017. You know, if you've got the support from your friends and your loved ones, you can do just about anything that you set your mind to, whether you want to learn how to play the guitar or to paint or even to join a roller derby team. It's never too late and you're never too old. Just make sure that you wear a helmet. Thanks again for joining us for this new season of the Howl Podcast. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that you're still here. And if you're brand new to the show, check out the first season. There's 10 other episodes plus two special editions of the program available right here where you're listening. I also got to let you know that this show is listener supported. So because you like what you hear, please consider supporting us. Make a donation. You can head to ncpr.org slash give and make a contribution in support of The Howl. And when you do, make sure to tell them that Ethan sent you. That's ncpr.org slash give. That's it for this week of The Howl Podcast, but come back next time and follow the show so you don't miss a single episode. You can also find out when we're going to be telling stories on stage in your town by visiting ncpr.org slash howl. The Howl Podcast is a co-production of NCPR and the Adirondack Center for Writing in Saranac Lake. And I also got to let you know that our theme music is by famous letter writer of Plattsburgh. The show is written, edited, produced, and hosted by me, I'm Ethan Shanty, with editorial supervision by news director David Summerstein. Doyle Dean is our production manager, Bill Hanel is our digital guy, and Caitlin Kelly handles our social media. I'll see you next week. Thanks for being with us. This is NCPR, North Country Public Radio.